Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, good morning. Do this. Just give yourself a pat on the back right now. You did it. This is true Central New Yorkers here this morning. I just will not keep you away from being in church today. But I got to tell you, um, I'm excited for what God has for us today uh, through his word. If this is your first Sunday here with us today, and my name is Rob, and I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here at Eastern Hills. Also want to say hello to those of you that maybe are joining us at home, online. We still love you, even if you chose not to come this morning. We know the roads were crazy. Um, but also know that January 23rd is the start when we're going to live stream our services. So on days like this, you know, you can... Still engage and watch online uh, live at 9.30 a.m. Now, there's something that is true of everyone. Uh, It's true of me and it's true of you. It's true of every person here in this room and it's true of everybody that's choosing to watch at home online. It's true of your family members. It's true of friends. It's true of coworkers. And it's true of the person sitting next to you even right now in this moment. And it's this that we have a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And I'll illustrate it this way. You know, when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day, there are thoughts rattling around in your mind. And when you wake up first thing in the morning, immediately your mind drifts somewhere. There are stories that you love to tell, the highlights, and then there are things in your life that maybe you keep behind closed doors. Some people might describe them as the skeletons in your closet. For some of us, when we think about the story that we tell, it's our career, it's the things that we do, it's our performance, it's the people in our life, it's the family, it's the friendships, it's those moments that, you know, when someone came into the world or someone exited the world. It's where our mind drifts during the day, mid-afternoon, as you know the caffeine starts to wander and you start to look out the window. Where does your mind drift? It's the jokes that you tell. If you put all of these things in a blender, and for some of us, it's, it's our story. It's our point of testimony and how we came to faith. It's what we do at church. It's what we don't do at church. If you put all of these things into a blender, hit power and go, that's the story that you tell yourself about yourself. It's who you are. And as you consider this, there's one word that comes to mind as we think about all of that, and out comes this, our identity. It's your identity. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, when you're pulled over, what you're asked for is what? Your license and registration. Now, for some people, this might have been a long time ago, but do you remember the the first time that you ever got pulled over? If you don't, you probably remember the most recent time that you got pulled over. And when you get pulled over, you produce your license and registration. You have to prove something about yourself. And I find this fascinating because in life, when life gets difficult, isn't that true? You begin to prove something about yourself, either intentionally or inadvertently. Now, this exercise, and if you would just take a moment and just be honest with yourself for the next few minutes, this exercise is going to help us identify some of the things that we think are true about us. It'll help us discover in a season where it feels so difficult to move forward, 
because we're always moving backwards. And from day to day, we're not sure what that day holds. Our whole world has been flipped upside down. And in this season where so many things are difficult and challenging, we're telling a story, something that we believe to be true about ourselves. So do me a favor and and play along for a moment. How would you fill in this blank? You don't have to yell this out loud, but just think about this. Don't worry about it. At least I still have what? I still have them, or I still have him, or I still have her, or I still have skills or abilities. I still have my, you know, physical appearance, and at least I still have that. When all is said and done, when things are difficult, and my life's coming undone, at least I have what? Where do you go to? Here's another. If I was better at blank, my life would be better. For some people, we believe that our value in life is based on our ability to perform. So for some of us, we would say, if I was better at marriage, if I was a better spouse, if I was a better parent, if I was a better boss, if I was a better employee, students, if I was better in academics, then I would feel better about myself. This is often the foundation of a New Year's resolution. You take an assessment of your life and say, well, I'm lacking in this area, and if I perform here, if I do um, more of this, then I will feel better about myself. Here's another. Because I went through blank, my life will always be controlled by it. This is a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. In, In high school, when I played sports, one of the things that was true is that if you got injured, one of the things that you would believe is that you would say, I need to conceal my pain. Because on the team, you always believed that there was somebody else ready to take your spot. And so you were trained to, to hide your pain, to, to keep it inward. And I think this thinking carries on into life. That when we're hurting, when we're broken inside, our default is to keep that concealed. And for, for some of us, it's because we've opened up and we've let other people in and we've been burned. Or for some people, it's afraid of what people might say if you share your pain and the things that are hurting. And so we might not be walking around today on crutches, but I think so much of our life is full of pain. And that's the story that you tell yourself about yourself when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day. It's a story that no one wants to tell but it's a story that won't go away. Here's one more. As long as I'm loved by blank, life is lovely. Uh, This past Christmas, uh, the Ryerson family, we got a chance to do lights on the lake. Anybody done lights on the lake before? It is now a a holiday tradition for our family. It was great. Uh, We got the kids in the minivan. Uh, We stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts nearby. And I got to tell you, the the, the, the two guys at the window crushed it. Um, They made it fun. Our kids were like, this is great. The drink was, we went to tip them. Turns out Dunkin' Donuts doesn't accept gratuity. Weird. But it was awesome. We went down, lights the lake, listening to music. And in the middle of the broadcast, the announcer said something that was interesting. He was talking about what do children these days aspire to be when they grow up? You know what the number one thing is? A YouTube influencer. I want to be a baseball player when I was a kid. You know, I had dreams of playing Fenway Park. And now kids say, you know, I want to influence people. Now that in and of itself is a good thing to influence people, to lead people. But I think at its core, what it discovers, what it's showing about us is that there's something within us that likes 
attention, that likes acceptance, that craves the views, that craves the engagement, that craves the shares. And I would put myself in that camp. You post something, who engaged with it? Why? Because inwardly, we say this, as long as I'm loved by, as long as I'm liked by, life is lovely. And here's the danger with this. When we step into this mindset, what we're doing is inviting other people to write our story for us. Either the people that are present or not present. What they say about us, what they think about us, begins to write our story. And that becomes the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Or the people that are not in our life. And my life would be much better if that relationship was different. Then I would feel better about myself. As long as I'm loved by blank, life is lovely. Now, one of the things that's hard for me as a pastor is anytime I get up here to teach, I have to teach myself. And in preparing for identity this week, I did some praying and soul searching in my own life. And I got to tell you, it's been a struggle this week. Because one of the things that's been true in this past season of leadership, 18, 24 months in a pandemic, is what God's doing in my life is helping me see just how much of my identity and self-worth is tied up in performance. How much my identity and self-worth is tied up in your opinion and what you think about me and how you feel about me. My wife said to me this week, I've never seen you in a season of leadership so indecisive. And you know what's happening? I'm playing the movie forward. Well, if I make this decision here, then this group of people are affected. And what's hard as a pastor is, yes, pastor, we teach God's word, we shepherd God's people, but there's this whole business side of how we do church. Call it operations. There's resources to steward, personnel decisions to make, what ministries we have, what ministries we don't have. And now more than ever, I find myself constantly disappointing people and it's incredibly challenging to lead. And if my identity is wrapped up in that, it's crushing. And you know what I also find? That often my past shows up in my present. That my childhood, my dad wasn't there. And so you know what the question is that haunts me at the end of the day? What will the story be one day when my kids are grown children? What will they say about me? And I put so much value in that opinion. You know, the whole adage of, sorry, kid, you know, messed up again. You're stuck with me for life. That doesn't feel so good. And so if you resonate with what I'm sharing right now in this moment, here's some good news. Here's where we're going in the next few weeks. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves is often different than the story God tells about us. And maybe this isn't true of you, and maybe it's just me. But I think if we're honest here in this room, and I think if every person at home online watching right now is honest, we'd all agree that this is true of us. And if this is true, it begs this question. If we think of ourselves differently than God thinks of us, who is mistaken, us or God? You see, years ago, the first church, the early church, they struggled with something that is called the performance trap. 
They were caught up in finding their identity and their ability to perform. And they were caught up in their identity uh, based on other people's opinion. You see, this church was much like you and I. They were trying to figure out, what does it mean to follow after Jesus? And so the Apostle Paul began to speak to this, and he had a goal in mind. As he wrote this church, here's what he said. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. Would you do me a favor for a moment? If you could use a little bit more encouragement in your life this morning, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Maybe if you're engaged online, you might comment in the feed. He says, encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of what? Complete understanding. (laughs) Woo, understanding. I could use some more of that in my life. Feels like day in and day out. I just don't understand, God. Help me to have wisdom. Help me to have knowledge. I'm not sure how to go left. I'm not sure how to go right. Do I go forward? Do I go backwards? How do I respond in this moment? But let's not skip over this. United in love. Wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of a community that is united in love? Could Could you imagine that? Where at the end of the day, as we have disagreements and disappointments, the thing that binds us together is love. Paul says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom hit, who are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so Paul's message is simple. If you want to be encouraged, if you want to be united in love, if you want complete understanding, if the thing that you're searching for in this season is wisdom, if the thing that you long for is knowledge, Paul says it's real simple. It starts with Jesus. Paul says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. You see, the early church struggled with something that we call legalism. Another way of describing this is religion. You see, the whole concept of, of salvation is by grace and it's apart from our own works is very difficult to grasp. It was difficult when the message arrived for the first time on the scene thousands of years ago, and church, it's still true today. For them, it was, okay, I, you know, I get this whole thing. Christ came. He died on the cross. He took on the, the, the punishment for the sins of humanity. He rose from the dead. If I place my confidence in him, I'm a new creation. But, but for some in the first church, the early church, they would say, yes, all of that is good, but plus circumcision. But plus traditions, but plus offerings. This is good, but you need to take all of that, put it in the blender, and then, then you're right with God. And you know what? The Apostle Paul is most qualified to lean into this conversation because this is his story. You see, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. And his life was marked through religion and legalism. He believed that for God to have a uh, to view highly of him, have him, to have a high view of himself, that he needed to perform well. He needed to, to be the most righteous and holy person, to do everything by the letter of the law. And then and only then would he feel good about himself. And so Paul is explaining that something has changed. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why... 
as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? I don't know if you've ever happened, had this happen before, but have you ever downloaded an app on your phone or maybe software on your computer and it's not working? And so when you Google that, often one of the default next steps is they'll ask you this question, do you have the latest update? And so then you have to download the latest update and order for that app or that program to work. This is the message from the Apostle Paul. Listen, things have changed. The reason why this is not computing for you is that you don't have the latest update. That there's a change that needs to take place within you. He says, belong to the world, do not submit to its rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish, meaning that they're here one minute, gone the next, are based on merely human commands and teachings. And so for us today, it might not look like circumcision offerings or traditions, but it does look similar. You see, sometimes as a believer, the story that we tell ourselves is, maybe I'm not a good enough Christian because I don't go to church enough. Or maybe I'm not a good enough Christ follower because I'm not in his word enough. I don't pray enough. I don't give enough. I don't serve enough. I don't share the gospel enough. I'm not as neighborly as I should be. I'm not as good of an employee as I should be or a boss that I should be. And so maybe, just maybe, I'm not saved. Maybe, just maybe, I'm not a real Christian. Maybe, just maybe, I'm not a true Christian. Church. I've read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I have not been able to find that part of the scripture where there is a level. It's like the rookie entry level. Like, I'm an okay Christian. And then I graduate to the veteran. Like, you know, I've been doing this for some time now. And then you become an all-star, maybe even get the Hall of Fame status. Like, I'm a real Christian. I'm a it's not in there. And it's a lie. And if you're believing that to be true, you need to stop believing it to be true. Because your value and self-worth is not in your ability to perform or achieve. The gospel is this, that once you call on the name of the Lord, you are right with him. Nothing can, be had, nothing can take place to change that relationship with him. Here's an illustration of this. If a father and son are connected because of their blood relationship, they are forever connected. The title of father and son. If that son makes a choice and he finds himself imprisoned because he made a terrible decision, the how they experience that relationship with one another is forever changed, but that relationship has not changed. He is still father and he is still son. And so when we call on the name of the Lord and we belong to him, you are forever his. You cannot lose this relationship based on whether you perform or not. So Paul says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. I mean, it, it appears wise. Sure, I would be a real Christian if I did all of these things. Initially, it's like, yeah, this, this makes sense. I should have to do all of these things with their self-imposed worship. Meaning, who is the focus on? Is it on God or is it on me? Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It's like how I feel about potato chips. Well, you know, it's like potatoes. It's like a vegetable, right? There's some corn involved. It must be good for you. 
It's a healthy part of the diet. I mean, it, it appears that way. It's so accessible. It's right there. It makes me feel good temporarily. It must be a good thing for me. No. It appears that it has value, but that is a lie. You see, the first church, the early church, and the church today, we all fall prone to the same thing. It's this thing called the performance trap, where we believe that my performance plus others' opinions equals my identity. This is the story that I tell myself about myself. Now, you would think that as you get older in your years, you become more wise, right? I'm not old. I'm, I'm just filled with wisdom. I have so much to, to give to the world. But what I've found is that even those that transition out of their careers and enter into retirement still fall prone to this thinking. Because that part of your life that was there where you produced, you achieved, and you were successful, and you got promotions is now gone. And so then you find yourself in this season saying, what can I contribute to? This, this 40, 50, 60 hours of my life is removed. So now, what, what is my self-worth? What do I have to offer the world? You see, it starts at a young age, and it follows us much into our adult years. And here's why I chose to talk about this in this season. Because there are not very many points in history where God has chosen to rattle so much of everything that we find security and significance in. In this time, in this moment of history, it is incredibly difficult to perform. We live our day by day. Some of you are parents and you're thinking, I'm not even sure if my kids are going to be able to go to school the next day. Exposure, secondary exposure. I mean, it's just incredibly difficult to navigate life right now. Will I be able to go to work? What does work look like? Everything is being shaken up. And so what's happening is that God is bringing these things to the surface. And that as a culture, we've been chasing after achievement for so many years. And so as a result, not only are we dealing with a virus that needs to be you know, acknowledged and we need to take it seriously from a physical well-being, but there's this whole side of mental health that is not getting the same level of attention. And so here's what's happening. More and more people are experiencing self-condemnation. More and more people are filled with anxiety. More and more people are battling depression. And more and more people have low motivation. You know, this idea of depression. There we go. Thanks, Trevin. Yeah. Where our body begins to block either uh, or numb physical and emotional functions, where we just stop feeling because of what's happening in life. And, and when, I, when I continue to read how this affects children, I can't believe that to think that children my daughter's age are thinking about taking their own life. That they look at the life that's in front of them and say, I would rather not be here than be here. 
Because as a world, we've said, your value is in your ability to produce and achieve. Your value is in other people's opinion of you. And so we're also seeing an increase of, of chemical dependency. You know, the, one of the major reasons for the popularity of cocaine is what that drug does for you internally is that it produces self-esteem. It, it makes you feel good about yourself. But do you know what's also true about this drug? Is that many people that are very successful in life are addicted to this drug. And so what that tells me is that if our ability to feel good about ourselves is just by performance, why are the people that have performed so well drifting towards chemical dependency? It's as if to say, maybe that isn't the way that God created us to function. You see, Paul told the church this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So here's, here's where, if, I, if I've got my Bible open, this is what I'm, what, what's the deceptive philosophy? What are the things that I'm believing to be true that seem wise, that seem good, but that are robbing me of the things that God has for me? Here are two common ones. This idea that I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. Or that I must experience certain circumstances to feel good about myself. Now, I don't have to spend a lot of time unpacking that if we believe this to be true, it will crush us. Instead, what I'd like to do is zero in on a behavior that leads to this very undesired destination. It's when we attempt to meet appropriate needs in inappropriate ways. You see, this is the thing that we all have in common this morning. Regardless of what you believe to be true about Jesus, every single one of us ultimately wants acceptance. What we're hungry for is this idea of unconditional love. And in the end, what we're wondering is, will I have forgiveness? And those are all things that God has wired within us to long for. But what happens is that we drift towards meeting those needs in inappropriate ways. And so God says this. If we have a need for acceptance, the word says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That in Christ we experience acceptance. And it's not of our own doing. It's what Christ does through the cross. He says, you are welcome. We have a need for unconditional love. The scriptures say that we love because he first loved us. Now, uh, I remember going to, to dances in junior high. And this is what the scene looked like. You'd have all the ladies enjoying themselves in the middle of the dance floor, except for that one guy that somehow, you know, watched the videos and learned how to break dance, and he's been practicing for months, and, like, he's the star of the show. But the rest of us, we're sitting back like, yep, 
I'm just waiting to make my move. And then the lights come down, and then you move over, and you do the little slow dance thing. Yeah, but as soon as those lights come back on, no, I'm back. That's a junior high dance. But the scriptures say that God is always on the dance floor. He's the first one. He's always there with open arms, with whatever you've got going on. He says, I'm here for you. My love is available for you. I will not reject you. It is unconditional. We love because he first loved us. He always goes first. And then we have a need for forgiveness. And so this is where Paul hammered the early church. He said this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. So without Christ, we stand before God, we're held accountable, and we're found guilty. Every single one of us, we fall short of the glory of God. But with Christ, he steps in as our advocate and says, I paid the debt they could not pay themselves. I did the time that they deserved to do. I did that for them. I canceled the charge of our illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. It says that he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, and I love this line here, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But here's the thing. It's not as simple as me just saying, okay, so if you find yourself in the performance trap and you say, okay, Rob, guilty, that's me. I find value in my performance and I find value in other people's opinions. It's not as simple as me just saying, stop it. It's like at the end of the day at night when my kids have a, a, a bad dream and they say, I, I'm afraid, I'm scared. If I say to them, don't be scared, never once do they reply, well, now that you say that, Dad, I'm not afraid anymore. And yet times in life, that's what we do. We just say, stop it, don't be afraid, don't be scared, everything's going to work. <laughs> no one walks away saying, well, geez, thanks, I feel great. That's not how it works. So Paul says, this is how it should work. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in a season with so much hurt and hard going on, my question for you is, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What's programming your thinking? If you're falling prone to the performance trap, your internal, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, what it's saying is this does not compute. And God's saying you need the update. So, so where are you going for the update? So the, so the message becomes this. I'm going to preach the gospel to myself daily. Because we forget daily that this is the gospel. Jesus' performance plus God's opinion equals my identity. Would you say this with me this morning? Jesus's performance plus God's opinion equals my identity. This is how Paul explained it. He said, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. 
So the first church, the early church, they were so locked into uh, circumcision of the flesh. But what Christ came to do was do business with the circumcision of the heart. To cut off what was old, to embrace what is new. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. So this is what happens. It's not that the baptism produces a different jersey on your back. When you go into the baptismal, you're already wearing the jersey. We wear jerseys in culture to say, I'm with this team. Well, when we're baptized, we're already with team Jesus. Baptism is purely symbolic. Under the water demonstrates, yes, that former way of living is dead. I am now raised with Christ, and I'm with him. My identity is rooted in Jesus' performance and God's opinion of me, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Take a look again. Jesus' performance plus God's opinion equals my identity. So if we go back to where we started, let's go back to the blender. You know, when our head hits the pillow at the end of the day, you have a choice. There's a lot of different ways that you could think about yourself. But it's a choice to renew our minds to say, you know what? I'm going to take what Christ did on the cross, his performance, and what the scriptures say are true about me. And I'm going to put that in the blender of my life. I'm going to hit go. And this is going to become my identity. That when things get difficult, when I fail as a parent, when I fail as a spouse, when I fail as a, fail as a citizen, the thing that I'm going to produce is that I'm not defined by my performance. I'm defined by the performance of Christ. I'm defined by his opinion and his opinion alone. You know what he says about me? He is well pleased. Here's what this means. Jesus offers us an identity that our performance can't take away. Jesus offers us an identity that our pain can't take away. That even if this gets worse before it gets better, who we are in Christ and our destination will not change. Jesus offers us an identity that people can't take away. See, our mission as a church is this, that we're here to help people become fully engaged in Christ at church and on mission. But my experience tells me this, that if we're going to become fully engaged, it takes a change in thinking. Because we can never be fully engaged until we believe that we are fully forgiven and fully pleasing to him. Do you believe that to be true? That you are pleasing to God? When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you believe that to be true? There's a lot of messages out in the world. You see, this is what separates religion from the gospel. The religion says, do, and you will be made right. The gospel says, because he did, you are made right. As a parent, my kids will come to me, and I've got daughters and so they love to put on princess dresses and they'll come to me and they'll spin around and they'll say this look at me daddy and do you know what they're looking for in that moment 
acceptance, unconditional love, affirmation. But my oldest daughter is eight, is eight. And it won't be long until the struggle with body image becomes a reality. Before the temptation of finding meaning and value in other people's opinions is a day in and day out. Where she begins to live the lie that for mom and dad to feel good about her, she's got to perform. And see, what I know to be true, because I was a youth pastor for several years, is that as parents, you often see your kids go through things, and you're looking at them go through things, and what you're saying to yourself is, why can't you just see yourself the way that I see you? And yet as adults, our Heavenly Father looks at you, he looks at you, he looks at you, he looks at you, and he looks at every person at home online and says, why can't you see yourself the way that I see you? You are fully forgiven and fully pleasing to God in Christ. Do you believe that to be true? I hope you do, and I pray that you do. But if you're not there, let me give you some next steps to consider. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on stage. And I realize there's a lot of things vying for your attention in this season. But let me give you a couple things to consider. If you're thinking, I need that reprogramming, here's a couple of things that you can do to start. Today, after service, number one, we want to pray for you. Because... When I sit in church, even last week, as I was listening to Pastor Wendell give a great message on the different things, just, just a little bit more, the thing that kept coming to, to, to my heart was zeal and enthusiasm that we should serve the Lord with purpose and passion. And so I sit in service and I'm convicted too. So if you're here this morning and there's something going on in your heart and your life, I know Pastor Wendell would, would love to pray with you today after service. He'll be off here to the side. But additionally, as a church, I hope that we can become a church of prayer. On Wednesday nights, second Wednesday of the month at 6.30, we're gonna gather together and we're gonna pray that the people in our community are set free from the bondage of the performance trap. We're gonna pray that the people in this community center their life on the gospel and what is true. And that our church would be used so that more and more people can become fully engaged in Christ at church and on mission. Today, after church, we're gonna have several classes to help you renew your mind, to grow an understanding of who God is. And I invite you to engage and to consider that next step. For those of you that are parents of students, going through such difficult times, I am thrilled that our student community is restarting again on Sundays at 2.30 for middle school and four o'clock for high schools, students. But maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm ready to take this next step, that our jersey's on my back and I'm ready to publicly declare my commitment to Christ. Valentine's Day weekend, next round of baptisms. The weekend where we think about love, you will look back and remember that was the weekend that I declared Christ's love in me and that nothing can separate me from his love. But let me give you one more. And this is something so simple that all of us can do. 
I'm calling it the post-it note challenge. What I've done is I've written 30 statements that are true about me in Christ. And over the next 30 days, I'm gonna engage through social media and just remind our church that this is who we are in Christ. We'll send out a link this week that'll help you download the tool. Super simple, sticky note, a pen, and the Bible. This is who God says I am based on his performance, not my own. And this is important because if we're gonna be fully engaged in Christ, it starts by embracing that I am fully forgiven and fully pleasing to God in him. Would you stand at your feet this morning, church? Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.